that was heartfelt. <laughs> Hi, I'm Danny, and I'm an alcoholic. Yay. It's funny you should say that, because I was just mentioning, uh, or noticing from up here, that you went to Starbucks and got yourself a Starbucks and didn't even ask me if I wanted one. That's okay. Hi, everybody. Um, it's a real privilege and an honor. Thank you. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, thank you so much, Dave, for asking me to come. Uh, the entire committee who has put this amazing, uh, fun thing together. Um, there, I have so many people in this room that I love. And people came here from Texas and Oregon to see me, which is ridiculous, right? There's my friend June. It's just so nice. It's super nice. And there's my sponsor. So, yeah, I'm a little, a little nervous, right? As I should be. And uh, we were in my room. I have a little problem with color, so I asked Earl to come over and look at the three ties that I had selected that went that I thought would go with what I'm wearing. And he held every one of them up to there, and then he turned to me, and he said, you know, lovingly as a sponsor would, you really are colorblind, aren't you? <laughs> Hold on, and he went, and he got me this tie, his, his tie. He put it on nice, right? Not the first article of clothing he's ever gave me. So... You know, usually I talk about my sponsor towards the end of my pitch, but I'd like to talk about uh, Earl right now. You know, I was thinking on the way here about some of the amazing, you know how our sponsors give us these little tiny little simple little tidbits that save our lives. And I'm thinking about some of the wonderful things that you've said to me, right? Like, when I was freaking out one time and I pulled over and I was like eight months sober. Eight months sober is nuts. If you're new, by the way, and you feel nuts, those are just feelings, right? And I was, I was so mad I had to pull over. Something, somebody had just wronged me. And Earl said, Danny, Danny, pay attention to your real life. What I know now, standing here, means it's what's happening right now. But at eight months over, you're like, well, what is it? You know, okay, okay. And then another time when you said to me, right, I remember I was really, really, really going through it, you know. I mean, I was having some problems. And they were serious problems because they were my problems. Right? And we had this meeting over at his house where I had to listen to all these, you know when you're new and you can't pay your rent and you got nowhere to live and you have to go to a meeting in a nice neighborhood and listen to rich people problems? You know, like, you know, the door on my three-car garage won't go down. You're wondering how you're going to keep from blowing your brains out, you know. And I remember I was standing on the street in front of his house and I said, dude, I just can't do it today. And he said, just go home and feel your feelings. Whatever the heck that means. But recently, recently at my house, he said the most incredible thing with depth 
and wait. I got this machine, this coffee machine. It's a Nespresso machine. Nespresso. It makes a Kruig look stupid. Right? And I, I, I said, Earl, can I make you a cup of coffee? He said, sure, go ahead. So I made him this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cup of coffee. And we're standing there, and, the, you know, I've known Earl for a long time. We're standing there, and he takes this. And I said, how is it? And he says, it's so good, I can't believe I still have my pants on. Rule 62, baby. If you don't know what Rule 62 is, it's don't take yourself so serious. Rule 1 through 61, please refer to Rule 62. Amen? Hallelujah? I do that to scare the new people. We will be selling the big book at the airport tonight. Yeah. So... Here we are. Here we all are here. Hey, if you're new, you know, hey, can I just, for me, from up here, can I see the hands of anybody in their first year of sobriety? Yes. 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 I dedicate this talk to you and the late, great Donald Madden. <sighs> okay, here, here we go. <sighs> All right. You guys don't even look like alcoholics. <laughs> Except this one section right here. That's right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There they are, the carpet patrol. No vacuum needed. Those of you laughing know who you are. All right. So... My father was a colonel in the Air Force. I'm an Air Force brat. I moved around a whole lot. Born in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, moved from there when I was two. Went to Washington, D.C. Moved uh, to Florida. Then went back to D.C. Went to Japan. Moved around a whole lot. Um, middle child. Uh, the scapegoat. The target. Everything was my fault. I had so much potential. And if only I would apply myself. Right? <laughs> And right away, you know, I've heard in therapy, they ask you, what's your dawn of memory? What's the first thing you remember? The first thing I remember is, out. I want out. I want out of, the, out of this earth suit, wrong earth suit, wrong, totally not right, wrong, out of the car, out of the family, out of the window, out of this relationship, away from you, right? Just away from you, you know? Every time I came around, people just seemed to be upset all the time. Always upset. Right? We had this Rambler Ambassador station wagon when I was a kid. The seat in the back faced backwards. That was my seat. Perfect. Alright, if I gotta be in the car with you, I ain't looking at you. And it's away from, we had, my father just loved to, whenever he heard anything back there he didn't like, he just, you know. Right? And then we had this thing in my, in my family, we had this thing, it was called the leather belt. And 
Ah, I see some of you know about the leather belt. And if you didn't, if you put your hand back there to block the leather belt, the leather belt became the belt buckle. So, don't worry, story's got a happy ending. Don't worry. I felt that lull. So right away, people started asking me. I remember when I was in Japan, uh, I got suspended in the third grade. People started asking me the same question they were always going to ask me. What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you? Why do you do that? Right? What is, why would you do that? Why would you hit that kid in the head with a brick? Why wouldn't you? Have you talked to him? Yeah. And I didn't have answers for it, and I was being given messages all the time when that leather belt would be slinging. You know, we have these jargon around here. We have these all these beautiful meetings that we have with the flags. It's so cool. I love that. And if you go to any meeting places, they have the we have the AA jargon that you just read that thing here with. Let it go, and uh, easy does it, but for the grace of God, and, you know, turn it over. We had jargon in my house, too. <laughs> Take it like a man. I was six. Right? Or quit your crying. Remember this one? Quit your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. And every time I was getting them beatings, you know, it always felt like the best way that I can really put it together was, you know, uh, I, I identify the same way of every AA speaker I've ever heard. I, I felt inadequate. I felt less than. I felt miserable. I felt like a loser. And... You know, you ever, Dave, you ever bought your grandkid when they were a little, little, a little balloon, you know, a little balloon, and they're like five bucks, so you tie it around their wrists so they can't let it go, right? And I felt like every time I got one of those beatings, I was given a balloon that said loser, and no matter what I did, I couldn't let go of that balloon, and you knew I was a loser, and there was nothing I could do about it, you know? And uh, started running away from home a lot because I got tired of the beatings. And uh, I remember one time I was getting a beating with an extension cord, and I grabbed that extension cord, and I said, no, no, no. And I, you're never going to see me cry again. You will never, ever see tears. Never, right? And I brought that uh, all the way into Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. I don't know what to do with that, you know. And uh, started going to... Uh, psychiatrists and uh, group homes and reform schools and uh, I was about 12 years old we were living in Washington DC stationed at the Pentagon and uh, I was growing my hair out at my father (laughs) Air Force dude right we used to get crew cuts in the kitchen every other week by him right like sheep if you, if you move, you lose an ear, right? So I grew my hair out at him, right? And I'm 12 years old, and uh, the only thing that I had really going for me that I felt was I could be funny and I could play the drums. I sat behind some drums when I was like 10 years old, and for some reason, I could play them. That's what I had. So I was going to be the next John Bonham, you know? Google it. So I had that going for me, and I was smoking camel cigarettes. Remember those camel cigarettes? Remember cigarettes before they smelled like pancake syrup? Do you remember that? Real. What happened to the Marlboro Man? 
He drives a Prius. He's vegan. He has a man bun. Right? What happened? Take it easy. It's just fun. I'm just saying, though, whenever there's a problem on the 405 and you get up there, it's always a Prius. I'm just saying. Okay. Outside issue. Keep it moving. All right. So I'm 12 years old, living in Washington, D.C., man. I, I'm, I don't want to go home anymore every time. I feel like, you know, we used to have this great speaker in, in, uh, in uh, L.A. His name was Cubby. And the first time I ever heard, I, I'd never heard anybody really explain how they felt. I just felt just so, just constipated. My body was constipated. I just, and I was just afraid that every, all times I'm going to be hit. If you're standing close to me or make a movement near my face, I'm going to be hit. You know, and rightfully so, I should feel like that. And Cubby used to say, I always felt like a scream looking for a mouth. And I was like, yes, that's it. Right? And uh, I never had a little, I was smoking camel cigarettes, I had really long hair, I never had a little sip of nothing, and uh, these three guys took me out to this baseball dugout, right, and we're all smoking these uh, cigarettes, and somebody pulled out a bottle of Boone's Farm strawberry wine. Yeah. Gasoline. June. A good month. Right? So I took the whole bottle and I drank the whole thing because I knew, instinctively, I knew, you better finish this because if you give it back to them, they, you're not going to get it anymore. And I drank the whole thing. And they're like, stop, stop, stop. And I just drank, 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 drank. So one of them big balls. And that thing happened. That thing, for the first time in my life, man, I was funny, tall, <laughs> handsome, you know, and I feel like Good earth suit. I fit. And then I started throwing up. I started throwing up. You know, like when you think your socks are going to come out, just uh, holding on to the dugout, man. Just holding on to that fence. Just, you know. Painting the fence. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, man, when I'm, if I'm, if, when I'm done with this, I, we, we are going to be doing this a lot. I now know what I do. Right? And then the next thing now, Alcoholics Anonymous, singleness of purpose. I respect Alcoholics Anonymous with everything I love. But here's what happened next. They were passing this thing around. It looked like a cigarette, but they were going, you know, and you, you know, you want to say, excuse me, what is that? But you can't say that. Then you'll know that I don't know and I'll have to kill you. Right? Because, you know, the normal person doesn't realize that if you embarrass me, I am going, I'm willing to die over that. So you just have to act like, you know, I've done it before. So, and you know, this is a long time ago. So it ain't like the weed that we, you know, the weed they have now, like NASA's growing, you know. One hit, like, cure eye cancer. (laughs) You know. And so, like, you had to, remember, Dave, remember, you had to get, like, your record album and clean the seeds out. Right? And, yeah. And it all had seeds. Well, apparently the person that rolled, that's Doobie right here, didn't get that memo. So it's coming around and I'm like, you know, eh. I covered chunks, chunks of strawberry puke all over me, right? Pop! The seed pops, sticks to my forehead. We're all looking at it, you know, like smoldering, and I'm thinking, 
This is probably part of it. Go with it. Go with it. Best day of my life. Best day of my life. As my sponsor said, I was comfortable standing where I was standing. With the people, for the first time in 12 years, I fit. I now know what I do. I ingest things. That's what I do. That's my purpose. Right? So 12 years, I think, uh, my father became the... Uh, I was running away a lot, going to crazy reform schools. My mother, would, my father was, all, before he was a base commander and in he, a head of the inspector general's office, he was a navigator. So he was gone a lot, and my mom would just sleep all day and be up all night. My mother was a beautiful oil painter, um, uh, just suffered from depression. Neither one of my parents ever drank, but I think both of them could have used a drink. You know what I mean? Um, and so, like, we were just kind of just, I was just an uncontrollable child, and uh, we moved to San Antonio, Texas, because that's where the head of the inspector general's office was. And uh, all I really had going for me was playing these drums. And I remember every time I moved, they would pass out this little index card. It says, it would say on, what do you want to be when you grow up? Never one time did I write, I want to be on a 5150. I want to be strapped down to a mental, it's Aliens Mental Center. I want my fingers spread open by the cops and jam that catheter right up in me. Any other 5150s here? That's right. You're a danger to yourself and others. Swear to God, on my last 5150, Christmas Day, 2007, right? True story. He'll tell you. 2007, Christmas Day, just got done being beat up by all the Glendale cops. Uh, you, you come to in this beautiful pink little room. Got this little piece of paper on your chest. You got a catheter in you. You got a piece of paper that says, you have a right to refuse a lobotomy. I'm like, that's good. <laughs> Glad I get a say in that. All right? And so the lady... She, the nurse has a hold of me. I mean, she's really got a hold on me. And she's going to remove the catheter. And she thinks, well, this is a good time. I've got his attention to tell him about AA. <laughs> I'm all ears. <laughs> and she's always, she goes, Danny, have you ever thought of going to some AA meetings? And there I am, beat up, right? Nowhere to turn. Wearing a robe, a, 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 the, you know, the, the gown in bed. Her getting ready to take this out. My, my life is up for grabs. And me, indignant, say, of course I've heard of AA. I have the best sponsor in the world. His name's Earl. And at that very moment, like it was a TV show, they said, Q Earl. He walked in the door and said, and aren't I doing a fine job? <laughs> True story. Swear to God. So, back to the story. The San Antonio Texas, yeah, when I filled out, I always filled out that card. I always said, I want to be, I want to be a baseball player. I want to be the next great drummer. I want to be something, man. I want to do something great. But alcoholism always had another idea for me, you know? I, I, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what alcoholism was. 
And, you know, every time I had any plans or dreams, I, I would just do something to make my life fold over on itself. Every time somebody had the brass ring and they were handing it to me, I would slap it out of their hand. Anybody, anytime anybody ever dared to get close to me. By the way, I want to tell you that all the respect I have, I have for Al-Anon. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you. Thank you for loving the unlovable, right? Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I was about 17 years old, and I went to jail in Texas. And when I got out of jail, my family had moved to the Philippines. Hardy har har. This is the only place that that gets a laugh, right? If this was like the Lions Club, they'd be like, oh, my God. Not here. Did you try to hang yourself in the front yard? And our book talks about it. We, we have this book. It's called The Basic Text, right? It says on page 132 that we think that cheerfulness and laughter are useful. Because if you're new and you're here and you come in and you don't see us having fun, why would you stay? Right? So we laugh at tragedy. Because whew, here we are, man. Just missed the snapping jaws of the lion. So anyway... So there I, you know, my family moved to the Philippines. I, I, I'm on the streets. I'm running wild. And I'm 19 years old. Uh, okay. That'll change your train of thought right there. Isn't it? Well. Don't say it, Danny. Don't don't say it. This. My contrary actions are usually a non-action. I don't know. Are there any other liars here tonight? Oh, your arm's tired. Is that your shoulder hurts? Right? You know, I used to lie so much that I have fond memories of things that never happened to me. You know what I mean? You know when you're telling somebody a story, right, Lily? You're telling somebody... Even in the middle of the story, you're thinking... Did I do that? Anyway, right? You know when you buy a picture frame and it has that phony people, those people in it? Because I didn't have a family, right? I used to keep the people in it and put it up on the wall and then name them all. My Aunt Agnes, oh God, she's got, she's got lymphoma. Oh no. You better buy me some booze, you know. So this is the, here's the true part of the story is I'm 19 years old. I got some drums that don't match because I'm an alcoholic. They don't have cases. And I hear that Rod Stewart's having an audition in Hollywood. So this is the true part of the story. So I put the drums in the bottom of the bus, and I'm coming out to California to be the next big thing, right? And I get to the bus depot in downtown, and there's a pawn shop that's open all night. Wait, you're getting ahead of me. So all my hopes and dreams, man, get, 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 there they went, right? But I told so many people that I played drums for Rod Stewart that still to this day, when like, when Hot Legs comes on the radio, I admire my own drumming. I'm like, I sound pretty good. And the book talks about where I can no longer distinguish the false from the real. I have lied so much. Because how can I walk into a room and just go, hi, Danny's here? 
If you knew who I was, you wouldn't, you'd say, well, get out. Because you're nothing. You're never going to be nothing. All my life, I'm nothing. Right? I'm comparing how I feel to how you look, and I'm never going to have a, I'm never going to have a friend. I'm never going to have the capacity to have love. I'm never going to be kind. I'm never going to be polite. I'm never going to have an apartment. I'm never going to have a car. Never. So why try? And I'm always comparing myself to the, you know, the, the guy, six foot four, veneer teeth, varsity guy, beautiful girlfriend, always picking, you know, never matching up to that, you know, so never, right? Loser, right? Because, you know, I can't stand you, but I need you to love me. Remember that? I hate you, but please love me. What a dilemma. What a dilemma. So, I come, you know, here I am in Hollywood and I got nothing going for me, so, I, well, I better get a trade, right? Because the music thing. I would go to auditions with no drums, <laughs> you know? I would tell them, imagine a drum set. Imagine. <laughs> it's like a doctor going, imagine I've already been through medicine school. Just a minute. Right? So, uh, it was either plumbing or electrical, but at the time made the most money for a guy that never made it past the ninth grade, so I picked electrical. And here it is 40 years later, and I'm a superintendent, uh, IBW uh, electrician. It, it has really uh, been the glue that has held my life together. You know, work, I know what and who I am at work. At work, there's a code book. There's the National Electrical Code Book. It tells me what I should do. The problem is when I get off work, uh-oh, no code book. Uh-oh, now what do I do? Ingest things. Where are the tweakers at tonight? Are you here tonight? Yes! There they are. Fixing things that ain't broken. I love you. Just the name, tweaker. Right? Because... You know, there's a great man in this room that taught me, man, that, you know, alcohol and drugs, why do we say alcohol and drugs? If alcohol isn't a drug, what is it? Anyway, there's another thing he told me. I don't need to understand my life. All I need to do is experience it. That's all I need to do. I don't need to understand what's going on here, right? I was told early in my sobriety, you don't have to like it or think it's a good idea, just do it. Amen? Hallelujah? airport (laughs) so i'm like you know a lot of crazy things happen you know and i'll I'll speed through this you know i'm gonna fast forward 22 years old i'm living in san francisco i got mats in my hair holes in all the front of my teeth i'm wearing everything i own i don't know where my family is i don't know anybody all i want to be I'm too scared to kill myself, right? And I used to, I don't know, if, you, if you're familiar with Market Street in San Francisco, those trolleys, man, they have to run down the wire, but they swing in real fast, right, when they have to pick somebody up. And I used to think, you know, I could just, I could just time this and just put my head right in front of there. But I was always too chicken, too chicken. But I wasn't afraid if what I was doing would kill me, you know. I was cool with that, fine. 
And, you know, I'd, I'd always come to in a, in a cell or in, on the street, hog-tied or tied to a bed, and so disappointed that I was alive and very unhappy that I was still me. I just didn't want to be me, the loser, the one who was never going to make it, the one who was never going to have nothing, you know. And I didn't know anybody. The only person who would have affected if I died was the people that had to zip me up and put me in that, that van, you know. So the only th- two things I could do at this uh, point really to get loaded was, do you know that there are people that don't finish their drink in the world? Did you know that? Have you ever been out to lunch with a person that will like, you know, eh. you, ever, you know, you know, these, they call them normies. There's, there are some of you among us tonight. They'll sit there with that much alcohol across from you at a table for like an hour. And we'll just be like. Are you going to finish that? Gee. Did you know there are also some people that think a cigarette butt in that drink is an undrinkable drink? Rookies. Amateurs. So back, back then, you know, I used to go to the bar. Did you know that we used to be allowed to smoke in bars, right? Back before, you know, everything was like before the bars turned vegan, you know. <laughs> and you go, you go in there, right? I'd go in there and I'd have these two, they were either two Tupperwares or two pitchers without handles on them. And I'd go in there with two underneath my shirt and I'd go to the, you know that magic place at the bar where the, the brass railing is, where the waitress gets service? I'd go in there, and at 10 to 2, she starts bringing the, this is hard to say in AA, unfinished drink. June, did you ever have an unfinished drink? Even when the car was rolling over, I, I, could, I knew, in a, right, in a riot with the sheriff's department, I knew where my drink was. Didn't you? Always. You know, I have a drink somewhere. Ah, there it is, right? And they would, she would bring over all the unfinished drinks. And I would cleverly pour them into my Tupperware. And then I would take them out back even more cleverly and strain them through my T-shirt. You know, all the cigarette... Oh, really? <laughs> really? You just went... Ugh. But, hey, watch, watch the hand. Watch. How many people here have sniffed stuff off of a public bathroom before? Come on. Look at that. Look. Look at you. But look, then, you know, you, you strain, you, right? And now you get like 30 days sober. You're like, hey, is that filtered water? <laughs> hey, that birthday cake's gluten-free, right? Dude, you were smoking drywall from the carpet two months ago. And now you want gluten-free, vegan, free-range water, right? <laughs> Let's not forget who we are. Complacency here kills. Let's all just think back to one week before we got sober right now. Ready? <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, man, some people call that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I call it a Long Island tea. 
right? What do I got to do to get out of right here, right now? You know what I mean? So, so there I was. Uh, I was. I, I, I always put my mats of hair in my face. I couldn't look you in the eye because if I looked you in the eye, you'd know what what a soulless, soulless waste of space that I was. You know what I mean? <laughs> Apparently, Vince knows what I'm talking about. He's got that laugh like the penguin. You know? I like that. I love you, Vince. Um, so I was, I'd end up in Civic Center Park hiding in phone booths. Right? I'm hiding in phone booths. Did you know? I bet there's people in here who have never used a phone booth, huh? <laughs> have you ever used a public phone? Is it, where's the person in here who's never used a public phone? Come on. Uh, yeah, right? We used to have machines. You could call people. You could call people. You could call Dave, right? And Dave would not be home, and the phone would just ring and ring. He didn't even know you called. He would be out eating his dinner, not taking pictures of his dessert. Right? And if you wanted to see his cat sleeping, you had to go to his house, knock on the door and say, I hear you have a sleeping cat. I'd like to see it. Right? Right. Yes. So I'm hiding in a phone booth in Civic Center Park because I can't, all the normies, they're all, they're all going to work. They're all fresh. They have these things called jobs. They're all being nice to each other. They're all clean. And I am just so out of place. I just want to dig a hole in the earth and die, right? And I'm hiding in there, same phone booth I've always been in, and it says, got a drinking problem? Call Alcoholics Anonymous. I ain't never been to AA. I ain't never heard it. All the shrinks i ever been in front of, all the counselors, everybody. Nobody ever one time mentioned Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So I called. Collect. Without a coin. And I said, <laughs> all I could do, you know, all I could do is either cry or be in a fist fight. That was it, right? I'm victim or assassin, nothing in between, right? And she says, do you think you can make it from, if you know San Francisco, right, Civic Center Park's here and Bush and Goff Street's right here. And that's, it's like this. And if you're an alcoholic and there's not a drink at the other end of this, that's a long-ass way, man. You know what I mean? And so I'm, gonna, I'm going. I'm going. And I'm on my way. Up. You're, you know, when you think of the name, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's kind of spooky. If you don't know what it is, it's kind of me in my head all the way up there, which is a terrible place to be. I'm thinking, you know, like when you see on Drugs Incorporated when they interview a, a DEA snitch? And they blur his face out, and they make his voice sound like this, you know. That's what I imagine. You're all going to have, like, blurred faces and hoods, and you're going to be like, My name is Dave, and I'm an anonymous alcoholic, right? Now, if I walk in... Now, listen. Doug, you ever walk into what you think is the first time you're walking into a bar, and the bartender stops what he's doing and goes, You. 
Apparently, I've been to this bar before, right? Apparently, all that broken stuff was me, right? It happened to me a lot. Now, if you had walked up to me and ran up to me and said, nope, you're not welcome here, or if you wanted to fist fight, let's do it. But here's what happened in my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. This big, I mean, it's, why do big, it's always the biggest dude. I mean, ginormous dude, I see him see me. Now, I look like a chick on speed. I'm like a size nun, right? I'm like... Right? And you know how they always put one leg in front? They're always like... They kind of they kind of rock a little bit, you know, like. Right? And you know, and we think we look good, you know. Oh, my, look, my new jeans. You know? So that's what I look like. I look like a parking meter. I'm rust. I'm iodine colored because all I do, the only thing I eat is wine, right? MD twenty twenty night drain, uh, seventy nine cents for a bottle of stuff they keep next to the mayonnaise. That's my drink, right? That's all I can afford. And I walk in, and I see this guy see me, and he comes running towards me. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> right? And he, you know what he does? He says, I love you. <laughs> and he hugs me. And I say, mm-hmm-mm. No, no, dude. Don't ever do that again. And he says, whatever. Right? And I, I thought the price of admission to Alcoholics Anonymous was a hug from a dude. Which, which was almost too much. Because every day I'd drink, I'd beg for change, or I'd steal wine, and I'd walk up to Bush and Goff and go, oh no, I gotta get a hug from that dude. And sure enough, He'd come, I was completely powerless, man. I weighed like a, a buck forty, and this guy, you know, hugged me. Every meeting, man, he'd stop what he's doing. I'd go there four times a week, right? Just drunk, but go in there. I felt safe. I didn't know, I didn't know what I felt, but I knew there was something there. There was something there. And this guy would hug me every time. And like, after like three weeks, I went in there, and this guy, he was just standing there, with these guys over there, and I was standing there just, okay, let's get it over with. And he didn't come over. And I was like, <laughs> I, had, I had been transformed to, hey, where's my hug? Which is groundbreaking. Think about it. I didn't have a grandfather with his arm around me on a fishing log. I was, all I knew, I had two things. Run or let's go. That's it. And for the first time in my life, I wanted this, whatever this was, right? Because, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't teach me how to be spiritual. I came into the world. You, you, have, you have a little baby? You, ever, you have children? Remember the first time you ever held, remember the first time you ever held a little baby? You didn't hold that little baby and go, now look, there's a liar. <laughs> Turn to the side, look. Oh, he's going to love Oxycontin. Look at that. <laughs> no. You're like, this is a beautiful little perfect ray of light. And the first time I ever held a little baby, I thought, aha, 
There's the promise of the second step. Because I used to get stuck at that word restored. Because I knew restored means that I once was. And as far as I could remember in my crazy mind, I've always been nuts. But when I held that, my daughter for the first time, I thought, I must have been like this once. Right? So, no, AA doesn't teach me that how to be spiritual. But what AA does is, is it gives me these 12 ingredients, these perfect ingredients of how to break down self and fear. Right? Like a, like, a, like a zipper. Just take it off. And if I take off fear, all that's left is love, man. Is, is love. That's it. If I take away the fear, all that is left is love. Then I get to be the gentle and kind, loving man that I've always been meant to be. Who I've always been in conflict with. Who I've always walked around with a chip on my shoulder. You know, my, my motto was, I hope you got a problem and I hope you want to do something about it. I bet you can relate to that, huh, June? Yeah. Chip on my shoulder. I had bags of chips. So uh, I started eight years of, I don't know how much uh, time I've been up here. Do you know how long I've been up here? When did I start? It's like 9 o'clock. What time is it? Okay. Huh. I'm going in and out and out. In 19, I started eight years of I sponsor myself. You guys ever heard of that? It's called untreated alcoholism. Perhaps maybe you've seen some of these people at your home groups. You've seen them at your steering committee meetings, you know. They want to fight for like an hour over what kind of cup we should use at the next, you know, conference. You've seen them. They got the veins sticking out of the side of their head. Do you want what I have? <laughs> no, Bill. That's me. No big book, no sponsor, no steps, right? Just an agenda, right? I'm just going to meetings, getting there 10 minutes late, leaving 20 minutes early. I'm just going to meetings and I'm asking girls, would you like to go to coffee? Oh, I see you guys know about coffee. You know, and I, you know, I never, I never felt a part of because I, I never, I was never in AA. I came to AA meetings. I'd been around AA, right? They'd read the promises, and I'd get so mad. I was a pretty mad guy. I turned into one of these big dudes, you know. I was so big, the only person that thought I looked good was another big dude. You know what I mean? I was like, brushing my teeth. This big dude, you know. Always free with my hands and just miserable. Boy, did I need a drink. And I sure did take one. Right? On the eighth anniversary of my untreated alcoholism, I went to a meeting, parked my Harley in the doorway, dared you to come too close to it. Took an eight-year medallion, and I told you, guess what? You don't work. For those of you listening on CD, I just held up the middle finger. <laughs> I was pissed. I told every one of you, I challenged every single person and in in every dude in the room to a fist fight. Let's go outside. I was like Jake LaMotta, Raging Bull. I was nuts. I was nuts. I had, I had no relief. Nothing. I, perhaps you've been there. So I went out and I took a drink that night. And I was to stay out for 15 years. 
of insanity. Right? Some of the highlights. Shattered my, both of my heel bones one night. Some people call that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I call it Saturday night. My life just folding over on itself. Just can't make it work. Just can't make it work. Can't stay sober. Want to stay sober. Coming to the rooms. Coming in. People asking me, you know, we have this, we have, we all wear these things, right? We have this ancient symbol here that we adopted in 1955, right? Unity, recovery and service, right? Unity is the body. I bring it to the meeting, right? Because, you know, me, I can take apart a harlot. I can put it back together. You know, I can make power. I can make power. Joe will tell you. Hey, by the way, Joe, stand up for me. This is my sponsee. Joe has got one year sober today. Today. Oh, yeah. Joe say, I can make power to run this whole city. I can do that. I can listen to a song and play it on the drums. But when it comes to not taking this drink oven by myself, I can't do it. I need you. For some reason, you plus me, which is a power greater than myself, allows me, gets in between me and alcohol. It separates me from the beast. We call, see, we have this, Twofold, we have the threefold spiritual malady phenomena of craving, which doesn't occur till I put something in me, in this mental obsession that I've been taught, we call the beast. It's a great name, isn't it? The beast. You know that voice that's filled with bad ideas? I love when Doug says, uh, that ain't right. <laughs> you know that, you know that when you're sitting there in a meeting and you're like doing your commitment? Setting up chairs, just sitting there, and all of a sudden, my beast sounds like a little five foot two hooker, you know, with a little gymnastic butt, you know. And she's like, "Hey, Danny, hi. You really worked hard today." Oh. Meetings going on, everybody's smiling, just having this little private moment all by myself. Let's go, let's go get a Corona. Just one. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, Corona. What harm could that be? You know, in our beautiful book on page 36 where it says, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that a little whiskey in my milk sounded like it wouldn't hurt me, right? And if you go down six lines, it says, Thus started another trip to the asylum for Jim. Right? So, if I think it through, if you're new and you have a plan, think it through. That little five foot two hooker, in reality, she really weighs about 650 pounds. She's got no teeth. She never bathes. She never sleeps. And she just wants to drag me downtown. Where nothing good happens, right? If you think it through, you know? Where was I? <laughs> I went out, blah, 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 blah. I forgot where I was totally. Huh? Oh, the obsession, yeah, the obsession of the mind. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, it, don't listen to it. Bad. Tell someone. 
Just tell someone. You know, in uh, uh, the guys that I work with, we write out the story called our paid story, Pitiful and Incomprehensible Demoralization. Remember the first time we did it, I was sponsoring this really, really amazing guy from Cry Help in Tarzana, right, which is the last stop on the block. Trust me, right? Ain't Wolfgang Puck is not coming by making the midnight snack there. You know, like some of the, you know, miracles in a mansion on a cliff by the sea. You know, these treatment centers. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Doing meditation with the Maharishi in the morning. I'm not downing any of them. Well, I was sponsoring this guy, you know. And this guy, man, was a beautiful, beautiful Hispanic dude. He, lo- he could have played Zorro in a movie, right? And this guy was a real good family dude, had three kids. Lived in Fresno. But he had this little crack pipe problem. And when he smoked crack, it would make him do things that he didn't normally do. Like one time he jumped out. You never see these guys that push these little ice cream carts. And they ring the bell. Ding, 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 ding. And in the middle of the day, he jumped out with a big knife that he had bought for his wife for Christmas. And put it up to this old dude's neck for 50 bucks. Some people are going, it makes complete sense to me. <laughs> but, you know, hey, and then as we shared about it, he said, you know, for the last 20 years, I've never been able to take any of my kids for ice cream. Every time I look into the eyes of an old person, I can't do anything but think about that. When I hear a little bell, I automatically go back there. So we wrote out that story. We wrote out that story, and he read it to me. And any time he thought about leaving Cry Help. Anytime he thought maybe getting loaded might be a good idea, he went straight down to the punchline. And he would text me or he would say to somebody in uh, the place where he was living, ice cream man. It took him straight to the place he knew he was going, right? He was able to make true on page 24. It says we are unable at certain times to bring forth with sufficient memory the, the humiliation and the suffering of just a week or a day ago. He was able to create that defense against the drink. Are you with me? Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Airport. In, in like 19, you know, going in and out, in and out, I just couldn't put two days together. I would just, I would just want to stay sober, and I just could not, not take a drink. And around 94, 95, it's a little blurry. I was living in Venice, California with a beautiful girl named Victoria. Victoria Smart. And I owned three things. I had a red-nosed pit bull named Brooklyn. I had a Honda Civic with no windshield. And I had my hand tools. I had it going on. And I would get home, and I would drink my ten king-size Coronas. You know, I got to get to, somehow I got to get to, the absence of fear. I've got to get to that place. You know, it doesn't stop the screaming voices, but it keeps them back here. And I would smoke a quarter ounce of Kush, and I would eat all the Klonopin I could possibly get my hands on. And every night, Vicky would start the car, pull around to the porch on the side of the house, roll down the window, and she'd say, I'm going to a meeting tonight, Danny. Would you like to go? And I'd say, all these terrible things. Tell them, tell them I said hi. Right? If I had known how to do column work at the time, it would have looked like this. I have a resentment against the entire Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Here are some choice names. Here are the 62 reasons why. It's a seven-bagger, no doubt, affects every area. 
And if I could really be honest and really knew how to articulate my feelings, it would have said, the reason is, is because I will, I don't, I know that I will never know permanent sobriety. I will never be a part of, and therefore, the only thing that I know how to do is would tell her, tell him I said, rah, 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 right? Well, one night Vicky pulled around and she got out of the car. She came around, opened the door, and she said, if you want to keep living in my house, if you want to, me to keep feeding your dog, if you want me to keep paying your rent and me keep being your girlfriend, you're getting in the car tonight. So guess what I did? Got in the car. I got in the car. She took me to this meeting in the 90s, which was on Rodeo, called Rodeo. 700 people, Dolce Gabbana, Jimmy Choo, Prada, all too many veneered teeth, suntan in the winter, and they're all just doing way better than you. Uh, and I'm Pigpen, right? I, I cannot let go of the two grips of handfuls of loser balloons that I have. And she brings me there, and I'm just going just so I can continue to have a place to live. I can't. I'm so ashamed because I can't stay sober. I can't stay sober. Oh, I remember what I was talking about, unity. You know, there were people that used to yell to me across the room. They used to say, how many days do you have now, Danny? Well, that is not unity. That's division. Unity is not humiliating somebody. Unity is going as far as you can from the front door, finding the person that's afraid to walk through the greeters, asking them if they have a place to sit, bringing them in, and giving them a place to sit and a cup of coffee. That's unity. took me to this meeting. I'm sitting all the way in the back on the aisle to hear my sponsor speak, who I'd never heard of, never heard him talk. And all I got going on in my head is, I ain't never going to make it. What's the use? And he starts talking. And I don't know if you remember the first time you ever heard anybody you had a connection with in AA, it was like that weird close-up they do in the movies, you know. And it was like he was talking to me. And he was just saying, dude, I've been where you've been. I could tell by the way he was talking. He had been where I had been. He felt like I felt. And something in my head went, well, I heard. I heard. Maybe. And I said to the guy next to me, Vicky was on this side, guy here. I said, what'd you say? And he said, I didn't say nothing. Maybe. What? He said, dude. It was my own voice, which had never said anything positive, ever. What's the use? Why get out of bed? You're never going to be nothing. Why? My own voice. It's called hope. For the first time in my life, hope resonated inside my head. It's huge. So I walked up to him after everybody. I'm waiting over there, right, just, you know, after all the beautiful people got done kissing his ring. (laughs) Right? And I walked up and I asked him the most important, hardest question that I've ever asked anybody. I've suffered in any test. So will you sponsor me? And he said, be happy to. We started on this little trip. We started on this road where you didn't show me, you didn't tell me about it. You showed me. You didn't say, go set up those chairs. 
He said, come on, let's go thank the speaker. You waited in line for me at the county jail for seven hours to see me for a four-minute visit. You drove across California to see me in institutions. You showed up time after time when I had nothing, nothing. Everybody told him to give up on me. I'm the guy that can't get sober. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Right? Everybody told him, including his wife, you got to let go of Danny. you got to let go. He can't make it. And for 15 years, he never gave up on me. He just didn't. He never said anything negative to me. He never scolded me. He just loved me. It was the only thing that was going to work for me was love. Gentle, kind, tender love. Right? I love getting emotional in front of a room full of people, man. Yeah. Remember the first time I, you know, I don't know if you know anything about my sponsor, but like, my sponsor is a man who fell out of the sky and still insists on getting on it back into an airplane and giving his life up and going and carrying the message for nothing, right? And I think, you know, if he can do that, I can do what's in front of me. I can do this. I can do this. He has shown me that I can do this, right? I'm thinking, you know, if I want what some, somebody has, maybe I should do what that person does, right? When I think back on, well, what should I do when Joe calls me and asks me this? And I just think back, well, what did Earl do for you? Extended the hand. My job is to just continue extending the hand. That's it, right? That is it. So, uh, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Can't do it, can't stay sober. A lot of crazy things happen, you can imagine. And on February 18, 2008, I took my last drink. Nothing to do with me. Everything to do with you. With you, right? With you. Because Donald Madden didn't give up on you. Because Norm Alpey didn't give up on Donald. Because Chuck C. gave it to him. Because Bill W. gave it to him. One man who just gave it to another man. Who didn't give up. Right? We can help when no one else can. Isn't that what it says? The man in the bed. (sighs) I knew it was going to be my last drink too, man. I just knew. I was done. I was done. We had this home group. Right? I had to go to the valley because Earl moved to the valley. We used to be West Side boys, and then he went to the valley. So I got to go to the valley because the only one that I care about, the only one that I believe, I, the only thing I believe in, right? I don't believe in any kind of. My higher power at the time was, okay, I believe, you believe. That's it. You ever, I remember we'd sit in meetings, right? We'd sit a lot like we're, we're very much alike. And I used to look at it, Earl, in the corner of my eye, and I used to look at him, and i think, he's an intelligent dude. He really likes this stuff. All right. That's enough for me. And he taught me, you know what he taught me in 1993, 94 something? Danny, we don't put hands, I used to get in a lot of fistfights. We don't put hands on anybody. 
in AA, and we expanded from there. I have not had one physical confrontation since 1993. That's a dude that was in a fistfight every day, right? Because somebody told me who I trusted and loved that that's not a good idea. I need to defer to another person's thinking. So here's how, this is how, here's how never turned, here's how maybe, we got from never to maybe. Here's how maybe turned into heck yeah, hell yes, right? We had this home group, Sherman Oaks, good old AA, the best meeting in the entire, right? (laughs) One hour participation meeting. You guys got this kind of meeting. You can't, you can't raise your hand. You got to be called on. Got to be called on. Oh, it's a great place to get a resentment, man. Oh, really? And now we'll start the meeting with sharing. Uh, if you were called on last week, please pass. We'll start the same way we have for 12 years. Nancy. And those of us who do not know how to act better than we feel go, oh. Nancy. Here goes 20 minutes. I'm never going to get back. Oh, Nancy. So I'm going in and out, and these are a bunch of very nice people. It's very upscale, listening to rich people's problems. All my sponsor's friends, and he'd always save a seat for me. And you know these meetings, man, where they got all these greeters and only one door to get into? Oh, my God, greeters. Oh, my God. I used to pull up to that meeting, man, and think, not tonight. <laughs> oh, no. They're going to ask you stuff like, how you doing? Ah! <laughs> You're just like... <laughs> Hell if I know. Dying. And while I'm sitting here, and the crazy thing was, the 40 people on each side faced each other. Oh, my God. And you know, when you're a dude, right, and you're not gentle yet, and another dude looks at you, you're like, what, what, what? You know? <laughs> what? You know those guys in the back of the room that they, the first thing you meet is their neck? You know these guys? Just, just say, hello. And what that meant for me was, you know, boy, I could use a hug, but I don't know how to. How do I articulate? I'm very scared right now, and I wish somebody would come up and talk to me. I don't know how to say that, but just, you know, stay away, right? Nothing good here. We're sitting in there, you know, and I, unbeknownst to me, I had become the guy that should not be called on in my meeting, Right? I, most of them didn't even know my name. They just go, there's the angry dude that Earl sponsors. Right there. You know what? Earl always have a seat for me. Sit. Put away the chair. We're sitting there. And one night, I guess the leader didn't get the memo. Don't call on that angry dude. And she goes, you. Would you like to share? And the whole room went, oh. Uh-oh. No bueno. Ex-nay on the angry dude A. And I turned to my sponsor and I said, do you remember this night? I said, can I say whatever I want? I'm eight months sober. The only thing I believe in is what he believes. I've never paid my taxes before in my life. Why would I? I need every drop. I owe the IRS $130,000. There's a levy on my bank account. I'm living in a tiny little box, right? I'm getting a third of my paycheck. You know, I'm just trudging, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling the magic or the gift yet, okay? <laughs> Nothing is a miracle, 
right? Oh, I'm sitting there, oh, dragging myself through, right? Mud to get to the meeting with all these happy people. You, would you like to share? And I said, can I say whatever I want? And he goes, Rose, go ahead. And I'm like, hey, sponsor green light. Sponsor green light. It, it's on. Clemency. And I'm not going to say what I said. But I said things like, I got right, almost standing up. Listen, okay, okay. Hate all of you. All of you. Can't stand none of you. Especially you, Nancy. Hate you. All phony, plastic, rah, 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 rah. I'm dying. In fact, there's one person here, this guy. I love this guy. And if I'm on fire right now, there's not a person in this room would pee on me. None of you. And no one said anything. Just nothing. Just like, what's about to happen next? You know? And this girl, two rows behind me, Margie, said, I'd pee on you, Danny. And the whole room laughing hysterically. It took ten minutes to get back together. I swear. And I saw myself like a weird PCP moment, like out-of-body experience. I was looking down at myself, laughing at my own expense. The chip I had been carrying around fell right off my shoulder. I felt my fist that I walked around all my life clenched, ready to go. I'm telling you, ready to go. I felt them open. And the lights went on. And I was like, oh, my God. Look, look. Is it AA? Oh, look at this is amazing. Look at this is nice. Isn't this nice? Yes. Yes. I felt it inside. I felt my chest was pumping up. I can, I can do this. Yes, yes, yes. Hell yes, I can do this. I turned into that, you know that dog when you go to somebody's house and it's like a, like a retriever or something and they love the ball and that whatever you do, don't touch the ball. You touch that ball and all we're doing the rest of the night is the ball. Don't even, don't even look at the ball. Right? Don't even say ball. And I turned it, right? Right? And I'm the kind of person all my life, you'd say, hey, Danny, would you like to? No. You haven't even heard what? No. I don't want to. I don't want to. Bad idea, don't want to go. No. I walked over to my sponsor for the first time in 15 years, man. I walked up to him, eight months sober, did the only thing I believed that he believed. And I said, Earl, what do you want me to do? And he said, we had this guy at our meeting, right? It was like a UFC fighter dude, you know, with the ears and all that. And the tat, you know, it's always the one with the tattoos all over their face that say, what are you looking at? I'm, I'm not putting anyone down, but this guy was scary looking, right? I was scared, right? And I said, Earl, what do you want me to do? And he said, go say hi to that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, are we looking at the same guy? Dude, look at that guy. All, all he's missing is a neon sign that says, don't talk to it, don't do it. Right? And somehow... When Margie said she'd pee on me, I was 
transformed into Forrest Gump. And I said, I said, okay. <laughs> Walked over. And I said hi to that guy. I didn't have to like it or think it's a good idea. All I had to do was do it. I just walked over to that guy because he said I should. And I trusted him. And I walked over and did that. And that's what I've been doing for almost 12 years. I don't do what I would like to do. And I do what I don't want to do. Right? That's what I do. I got, I went, I remember one night I made the mistake of saying to Earl, how much time do I have left? Anyone? How much? Five minutes. Why did you say that so quickly? Are you not liking the story? Five. I've been a greeter. I've been the cake person at my meetings. I've been a secretary. I put away chairs at a meeting for eight years every Thursday night. I remember making the mistake. Of, I, asked, uh, uh, I don't have time to go into all that. So, so I'm doing the deal. I'm doing the deal. I'm doing the deal, right? I'm going to tell a beautiful story about my beautiful sponsor. Like, sitting in this little room. Hey, you know, how many people think you're your sponsor's favorite? Where are you at? Come on. Of course. How could you not be? Right? Of course you are. I know I am. When you leave tonight, call your sponsor, man. Just wait till it's really late. Just call him and just go, I love you. Click. Hang up. Just hang up. That's your sponsor. For nothing. So I'm living in this tiny little apartment. It's like 117. I was a room. It was a room. I'm 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 being uh, uh, the levy. Uh, uh, no money. Uh, I got driving this Ford Ranger with dents all over it. Got to park it two blocks away from the meeting because I'm embarrassed. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I'm just sitting at the edge of my bed thinking I got to go to this stupid meeting with these stupid people and do my stupid commitment. But when you get there, you're like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Hey, how you doing? Welcome. Hope you don't share tonight. How you doing? <laughs> it's called acting better than you feel. I'm sitting there. I've been working on the W Hotel, I think, right? It's a million degrees. No air conditioner in my apartment. And the phone rings. My sponsor. Now, if you're doing brain surgery in your apartment, and the phone rings and it's your sponsor, you take a towel... And you put it on the head. And you answer the phone. Because that's your sponsor. And Earl says, meet me at the corner of Ventura and Reseda. And I say, okay. <laughs> Off the shrimp and boat. Go meet Earl. And I drag myself there. Uh, if, you, if you don't know Earl, he's very animated, right? Very animated. I park my truck all the way in the corner of the parking lot. Way beyond where that dude is, way in the corner, standing up, dude with the black hat. How you doing, brother? Way past there. I park way over there, and I walk up to him in my car hearts, and I'm all dirty. And I say, Earl, how you doing, man? He's holding like, I don't have it, but he's like holding like this. Give me that. He's holding this envelope, right? He's holding this envelope, and he's waving it around, right? And I walk up, and I'm, I'm defeated. 
I'm, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm just making it one moment at a time. I go, what's going on, man? He goes, this is for you. And I'm like, well, what's that? He goes, open it and find out. <laughs> so I open it. It's a stack of money like this thick. And I'm like, dude, I do not want your money, man. You have done everything for me. And he goes, it's not my money. Read it. And it's a piece of paper. It says, this is an anonymous gift. Keep it or pass it on. What's that? He said, you know all those people at the, at the meeting that you can't stand? You know the ones that said you wouldn't pee on you? <laughs> well, after you left, they passed the basket. And he, I remember you told me some of them couldn't afford it. They, made, they raised some money for you because they didn't want you to not be able to pay your rent. Here's two months rent and here's two months car payment because they love you and they want you to stay. Once again, Alcoholics Anonymous showed up, right? And I took it and I, I know, Alcoholics Anonymous, man, right? So I snatched it, I, I took it, you know, and I, I gave him one of those quick dude hugs, you know, and, you know, smack, smack, you know. Yeah, I want a hug from every dude in this room, but please don't give me those dude hugs. Like, Holden, where are you at? You know those kind of hugs you give? I've been meaning to tell you this. You hit me too hard when you hug me. My father used to beat me with a leather belt. I don't need that. Just give me a gentle, come on, hold me, hug me, you know, lift your leg, nuzzle. You know what I mean? I love, when I go, you know, when I share at meetings in West Hollywood, you know, the, the hugs, they get so long, I have to go, okay, stop. You have to, safety word, safety word. <laughs> Tapping out. So. <laughs> ah, keep going. So I took this thing, I took this thing, you know, I said, I gave him a quick hug, and I, I ran all the way across the parking lot. I ran. It was hot. I ran. And I was holding back. I was holding it back. You know, I'd never re- I'd cried a few times in front of him, but, I mean, I was in public, you know, for crying out loud. <laughs> so feelings? I got all the way to my truck. It was way in the corner of the parking lot. And when I got over there, Earl goes, he goes, Danny! He's about to tell me the most important thing that anybody's ever said to me. He goes, you're part of something now. Everything I was holding back, man, I just, bam. Couldn't, couldn't open the truck door for about five minutes. Just boo-hooing, sitting in my car, holding on to that piece of paper. I was in the middle of Ventura Boulevard at a green light. Car's honking at me. Lady said, honey, are you okay? I'm part of something. You don't understand. I've never been part of anything before. I'm part of something. I can do it. I can be a father to my kid. I can be a brother. I can be a good employee. I can sponsor somebody. It matters that I'm alive. It matters. I could have missed it all. Right? It matters. I'm done, right? Am I done? And just, you know, I got story after story of how AA has been there for me. If you want to know the secret and you can't stay around for the entire conference, 
I'm going to give you the secret. Can I give him the secret, Dave? You ready? The constant thought of others. So if it's all about contrary action, page 62 says, it says that selfish self-centeredness, we think, is the root of all my problems. What is the contrary action to selfishness? To be, right? Unity is the body. I bring it to a meeting. Recovery is of the mind. I get to work the steps. So having had a change in perception, being able to see things differently now, it's amazing how everything can look different just from right here. Oh, that wasn't personal. I don't have to kill you. Oh, you're just having a bad day. Okay. Not murdering you today. Okay. And then, so what do I get to do? The third side of the triangle. What do we get? Our diploma. I get to walk over there and say hi to that guy. I get to sit across. If you're, if you're, if you're not getting the buzz that you're going to hear about on Monday, if you're not catching this big buzz, if you're not feeling the magic, may I suggest that you reach into hell and grab the arm or the hand of someone and pull them out and sit across a table from somebody and one day you're going to see the light go on in their eyes. And it's called hope. It's called magic. And it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. All right? Thank you. Thanks.